Hello, NPR Network. Uh, this is the Motley Crew edition of the Star Trek Discovery Crew. Um, back with some, a little bit of Star Trek news, some happiness for this, you know, pandemic times. I'm Hiroshi Shive, and I'm joined by Parrish and Joseph. And we're here to talk, you know, about Star Trek. So let's um, give a little bit of updates. Um, who wants to go first? Um, I'll go ahead and take over, Parrish. I'll, I'll think about the. Nah, I was gonna. I was gonna say the the ho, uh, host choice. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, well, let's go with Joseph then. Okay. Um. So as I mentioned, you know, I think probably the last recording I have been doing a Voyager, not a rewatch, a Voyager watch, because it Voyager kind of slipped past my radar. Um. I'm in season three. I have. I kind of took a breather because I was started watching other things um but so so far i am enjoying what i've been watching uh i jane way has made some decisions <laughs> mm. um that's all i'm gonna say about that and for the most part it's been it's, it's been a fun fun visit okay how do you feel about watching a series that's like 24 or 26 episodes a season? So I was going to jump in. I was going to jump in right there because I, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm also doing the same thing. So um, it's part, it was partially a rewatch and partially a watch. So I maybe watched the first two or three seasons and mm -hmm. then just stopped. And so I, and I never finished the series. And so now I'm at, I'm on season six. And yeah, man, the, the 20, 23 to 26 episodes, that's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot of television. And it makes me think about like how television's done now. Like with Picard, it was like 10 episodes. Maybe they could have done with eight. Maybe they could have had one hour extra. Uh, Discovery, I think the first season was like 15. 13, and I, I think. Yeah, and then the, the, sec the second season is 13. And these shorter seasons, which is something that I guess if you watch British television, they've been doing for decades. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, well, Ham, why don't we do it shorter and have a stronger storylines and still do all the things that we need to do and not have this filler? It's like, huh? <laughs> it's like, who would have thought that? It's like the British did like decades ago. Come on, guys. Yeah, and. It it, it, it's made Voyager so I I enjoy it for what it is because I know that this you know this show is is old, um, but the 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 the, long, the length of the season plus the fact that it's it it after DS Nine which is still you know it, my favorite Star Trek Discovery is 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 really heading in that direction but DS Nine is still my favorite Star Trek. You know, you went from DS9, which had a really tight story, and it was really focused, and it was about the Dominion War, and then you go back to sort of a, a, a the next generation mode, where it is situation of the week, villain of the week. Sometimes you go back to something that happened. Sometimes you get a thread that goes more than one episode. But it was... I'm having a hard time dealing with that and, and having it hold my attention. And I think that's also like a function of the way that television is done now. Yeah. Um, 
I used to be really obsessed with Star Trek Voyager. That was, for the longest time, my favorite television series. And then Ron Moore came out with Battlestar Galactica. And when he was doing the initial, like, social push about it, he was like, yeah, I wanted to do this with Star Trek Voyager. And I was like, that shattered my mind because it made me think of the possibilities of, like, the Maquis and um, Voyager. And it didn't have to necessarily be as dark as Battlestar Galactica, but, like, the dramatic tension, like, the first two seasons where you're dealing with, like, actual, like, ethical perceptions about how to do things. There was, like, the Maquis way, and then there was the Federation way, and they were both kind of right, but the implications of how to do things was way different. And that made it very interesting during the the very hard first two seasons of any Star Trek series. It made it interesting for me. And then some of that still carried on, but it just came plopping back on the Federation side. And the only one that really kind of challenged those moral principles was like Seven. When she came on how she perceived things and called things out. But um, yeah, so... I think Voyager could have been better. I think it's a product of its times, but a lot of what it was doing kind of still paved the way for, you know, the improvement of Star Trek, of storytelling and crafting, allowing things for like, you know, Enterprise to be what the way it was, and even for Discovery and Picard and some of these other series coming out. Um, so speaking of Voyager, um, they are going to do the 10th anniversary um documentary they filmed it earlier this year uh there was like a cruise during like kind of right before the pandemic hit and so they're interviewing everybody much in a similar style as the people that did the same people who did on the deep space nine one are doing the star trek voyager one and it should be very interesting to see you know see all the cast and crew after 25 years seeing the impact of star trek voyager because it has had an impact and that's something that's probably going to be coming out like next year. And they are also doing a um, something that a lot of the television shows are doing now is like a Zoom cast where everyone gets together and kind of talks. So I'll put this link in the show notes for fans. But if you're a Star Trek Voyager fan, that is something that um, something to look forward to and reminisce about. I think it'll be interesting uh, because I'll get the the actor's interpretation of the storyline after the fact, like years after the fact, and mm-hmm. you know, you know that'll I'm sure will help me to see the 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 series in a different light. Yeah. Um, also, I believe it's Garrett Wang who played Harry Kim and Robert Duncan McNeil who played Tom Paris are doing um, a rewatch of Star Trek through podcasting, uh, which. Uh, I can't say um, Jake Sisko, the actor's name properly, but Kai Lofton was doing that with Aaron uh, Innsberg for Deep Space Nine before Aaron passed away. And he's still doing it with some people. But he was doing a Deep Space Nine rewatch where they watch the episode, uh, bring a cast member on and talk about the show and stuff like that and the lore and the history behind that. So there's there's a lot of like stuff going on. And it would be interesting to see like you said, how the cast interpreted the different storylines and things of that nature. Because there's a lot. Like, Janeway, Janeway makes some decisions. <laughs> and it, it, those, are some, those have been some rough ones from what I've been watching. It's like, 
Oh, there's been some rough ones, yes. And like, I don't know what you what anyone could do in those situations. What would you do? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. I look forward when you guys finish um, our conversation about like, could we look at that show with our interpretation of you know 2020 year eyes, or should we look at from you know that point of time of storytelling? It'd be interesting to see you know, some of the morality issues that Star Trek Voyager does bring up. Um, from everything from Tuvix uh, to the Borg to, there's a number of different things too. Like, yeah, we have like this space portal that allows us to get home quicker, but we can't use it because that's, they won't let us use it and we're not going to take it by force. You know, you know, stuff like that, which that space portal was brought up in Picard um, because the Borg assimilated those people, or at least some of those people. That's that's a later plot line, right? That's no, that was like the first season. The Zindi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Because there, yeah. I'm coming up on an episode where there was another gateway. Okay, all right. No. Yeah, there's there's been a few like where they could have got home sooner, but the Prime Directive and Janeway's morality and. You know, the crew will be like, I don't know, Captain. We could get home, like today. <laughs> and stuff like that. And so it would be very interesting to see how one holds on one's principles in those kind of, you know, tight and dark situations. And can you? Right. So there is also some Deep Space, not Deep Space Nine, but um, Star Trek Discovery Season 3. So... The reason why, like everything, the Rona has wrecked the world, uh, Star Trek Discovery has not been out like they initially planned is because the score wasn't done. And are you guys big score guys? Because I didn't, you are. So maybe you can explain this. Uh, Jeff Ruzzo, who scores both Picard and Star Trek Discovery, was basically the reason why they were not... um, doing the score yet was they had to figure out how to remotely do it because they couldn't meet in person to do the orchestra. I mean, I don't, I didn't realize it was that complicated for orchestral recordings. I mean, maybe you can explain. Oh yeah. Um, because most orchestras, if you've ever seen one, they are pretty close together. You have your, your horn, your tuba section, you have your flute section, you have the drums and the, the woodwinds, all of them, they're pretty, pretty uh, packed in there. Um, and it's kind of difficult to do that through so- and still practice social distancing. Yeah, so, yeah. And so if you look at the organization, so I was not in an orchestra. Um, I did I did chorus, um, but my wife was in the orchestra. Um, and so if you are, the, the way that an orchestra is, is, is organized in their seating, it dictates what your part is and you're feeding off of one another. So if you're first chair violin, then the other people in your row are basically following your lead. And you may be doing like the melody and the the, the, the sections behind you may be harmonizing with it or depending on how the how the piece is written. But it's really a collaborative thing. Like you're really listening to all the instruments around you. Um and you're keeping, you know, you're keeping yourself on tune, on the right, at the right pacing. You know, it, it yeah. I, I keep thinking about it from an engineering standpoint. 
you know, if you're recording, for instance, a a 100 piece orchestra, that's a lot of channels to put to together into some sort of you know finished piece. That's insane. And my understanding is uh, there was someone who had done this before. It was already done one more time, one time before, and there's a software program. But like you said, the the biggest issue was doing the social distancing and figuring out how to record basically everyone individually and then somehow blend it all together. And he has to do this for, I think the season's supposed to be 14 episodes. So he has to do this for 14 episodes, all the different pieces, even if some of the the music is going to be like reused or redone for different episodes, like that's that person's theme. That's a lot. Right. You know, the fact that they managed to figure that he has managed to figure it out, that is, that is great. Yeah. Um, And I am, I am, when I read that article, I was amazed. Um, And I really would, I would pay to see a behind the scenes of how they accomplished this. Yeah, apparently the series that did it before from the article was Umbrella Academy. And they use a thing called a jigsaw recording method. And so I understand why there is delay. And I have no problem with the delay. I want people to be safe. I want people to be able to do their job well and have a good product come out. And I, I don't want them to rush this or anything. But I didn't realize, like, as I was thinking about just what I knew about music, I was like, well, is there remote work kind of done almost all the time now in music where you have someone in a studio in Detroit and they're, they're laying down beats or they're playing their, their guitar or bass. I, I, I just really wasn't grasping the concept until you explain it to me now about, you know, why it wasn't being done quite yet. Yeah. And orchestra is a, that's a whole different monster. You know, even when you, you know, um, when you talk or or if you're doing work with a, a choir or a chorus, that's a whole different monster. Because there's so much about it that's collaborative. And that's feeding off of one another. Very difficult oh. to pull off. Mm-hmm. So like with like now that I think and visualize what I've seen of like the filmage of orchestras and stuff like that. So the sound is probably different too because you're also when you're recording, you're capturing all the instruments almost at once, mm-hmm. even if you focus on the violin. So the sound probably is going to be different because you're not going to have the violin and the, like say the flute instrument at the kind of like at the same time. Well, that's when they go back. Well, that's when they go yeah. back and engineer it. And that's what I'm sort of fascinating, uh, fascinated about. Like, how do you, how do you make it sound like they're all in the same place? You know, even slight variations in the timing at how they're playing the piece, you know, you can you can accidentally start speeding something up. Um, but, you know, even when you're in a room full of people, I've, I've had I've been, when I've been in, in chorus, you know, one person starts singing the song a little bit faster than everyone else and everybody else that becomes a, a, a domino effect. Everybody, and next thing you know, the song is going at a different pace than what you attended. Um, but when you're just playing by yourself, you don't kind of have that. And that, I think, could also be a, a problem as well because you're taking this track of, of person A playing it and you're taking person B playing it and there are two different tempos. And I know there are ways of, you know, time compression and engineering 
uh, sound engineering and you can stretch things out and compress them a little bit. Um, but it's just, um, I'm just in awe that they're even attempting this. Well, there is another solution that is actually much simpler than that. Um, all of the first chairs would play their play their um, instruments and um, set the, the pace, and then they would send those out to the other members, and they would have so they would have you know this is the pace that this is going to go at. So you have to follow this one, and then the engineers could come in and put it together so that it would actually sound like they were all in the same room. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, how are they breaking it down? Are they doing different? Because, you know, they're they're sen- obviously sending, they said in the article, they're sending all this equipment, you know, just to make sure that everybody's doing apples to apples, which, you know, I've had some experience with, not with music, but with, pre- you know, presented recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm wondering if they're doing these in session by section and by chair, like you just said, like maybe they're doing... A, for lack of another another way of saying it, maybe they're doing a Skype call with all the first shares, and yeah, like you said, sending sending the the music, or you know, they're getting the 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 um, you know what I'm saying? They're they're, they're getting all the pieces together and sending them where need be. My when I first heard like the initial delay of um, the music. Of the delay and stuff, I was like, "Hmm, maybe they'll have just an EDM version of Star Trek Discovery, you know, <laughs> like house music in the background <laughs> and stuff." But <laughs> that was just a thought because Picard had EDM in the background at the club scene, and I was like, you know, I was thinking like, how would music be different now if you can't have that orchestral sound, especially for Star Trek, which is really known for that sound. Would that really, would that change the show? Well, let me put it to you like this. Has anyone on this call seen GoldenEye? Yes. Yes. Eric Serra did the um, score for GoldenEye, and it is widely known as the worst James Bond score. Um, Even now, I cannot watch that movie because I do not like that score at all. Mm -hmm. Um. And then I imagine what would it have sounded like if David Arnold, who came in for Tomorrow Never Dies and did everything up to uh, Casino Royale, what if David Arnold would have done it? Because when David Arnold came in, that's when it sounded like a James Bond movie. That's when it felt like a real James Bond movie. GoldenEye, for as good as it really is, because it really is good, I cannot, I personally cannot get past the score. It just sounds like it's from a whole nother world and it just doesn't fit. So I've never paid, That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I've never paid that much attention to it. Um relative, but I'm not I'm not as big a score guy. I do know, I mean, it, going with well, Hiroja, go go ahead and say what you want to say. Like I, I don't remember the Golden Eye one, but I, I was thinking that even though I was joking in my head about EDMM being used, so it's like that would totally change the tenor of the show if they were somehow, because of what's going on, had to ditch the orchestral stuff because they couldn't figure it out. Like, I don't know. Like, it would be jarring. It would it would feel weird. I would notice it more than if um, the music in the background than I would before because it would be so different. It would change the emotion, I think, of scenes for me personally. 
there is an actual example of this. So, um, uh, you, you all have seen Metropolis, right? The the old Fritz Lang movie. Yes. Okay. So you know it's it's um it's a silent movie. It's before you know before talkies, and so um when it played in most theaters, you know you had an orchestra playing the score as the movie goes. Um, and so there the they have I mean you get this whole conversation about like where's the final print of this movie because you know you've seen many different versions of it but no one seems to know if there is an actual definitive cut of this movie still in existence but there's a release of it that has like the original intended score for the movie but then um jeff mills who's a, a detroit techno pioneer you know techno legend rescored the movie um and so it has a very techno, very Jeff Millsy sounding score to it, and it does have a very it's a it's sort of a a fundamental shift in how you perceive the movie. Um, I would imagine with like the synth beats and the the, the just the nature of techno being pr- kind of almost futuristic in a yeah. sense, it would change the tenor of the perception of the different characters. Definitely, and. I would think it also give because the nature of the story a bit of more dread than hopefulness about that particular film. Mm-hmm. Well, the, well, the thing about the score is it, it you know, score helps dictate things on screen even more than the actors do. Like, take for example, um, the the final battle between Thanos and Iron Man in Endgame. I'm not going to say spoilers because y'all have seen Endgame like 16 times, so shut up. Um, I mean, the, the numbers are the numbers. Yeah, everybody's seen right. it. <laughs> yeah, that, that climactic scene where Thanos is about to snap his fingers, that would have sounded a whole lot better. I mean, a whole lot different um, had the music been different. Oh, better example. The first Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. I like Age of Ultron, but Age of Ultron feels like it's missing something because Alan Silvestri didn't do the score. So it feels, God bless Brian Tyler and um, Danny Elfman, they did their best. But I still wonder what it would have sounded like had Ike Perlmutter not been a cheap bastard and we would have gotten Alan Silvestri back to do that score. Well, the I the difference between those scores, thinking in the movies, the first one there was like a almost like a hopeful mm-hmm. theme, and the second one, the hopefulness, even with the good parts, like you know, there's you know, Iron Man shows up, if you know this happens, that happens. There's not a hopeful thread of happiness through Age of Ultron. There's not like an upbeat through that film with that score. Right. And I, that doesn't say because the storyline is kind of like, eh, you know, like kind of like negative or bad, if you will, depending on how you interpret it's it. Dark. But there's not that there's not that hopeful beat to it. And so there's a very dramatic shift versus the third adventures, even though this I think the storyline was way better. Um, there's still that hopeful thread through it. Yeah, music can create a sense of dread, but music can also create a sense of excitement. Yes. And so the Civil War one was like a crazy excitement every beat. Definitely. Anticipation. Like you you're like, what's gonna happen next? Oh my god, what what's happening over here? Yeah. I didn't get that so much from Age of Ultron when I should have with some of the action scenes. And it's not to denigrate Brian Tyler or Danny Elfman. They are both very good composers. 
They just did not work in that movie. Henry Jackman worked in Civil War a whole lot better than um, Tyler and um, Elfman. Yeah. Yeah, and it's totally different now that I reflect upon it. Yeah, it's way, way different experience. It really is. And, yeah, so I'm glad they're taking their time. They're figuring it out. And hopefully, you know, before the fall, we will have a, a Star Trek Discovery Season 3. And if not, then, you know, they can push it to, to 2021. Everything else is, I can wait. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that. you know what, that's fine. I rather have a good show than something that's rushed and milk right. happening. Um, so some other news has happened. Um, it's been talked about for a while now, but it's officially announced. Um, and there's a bit of a theme or running theme as we get to the big, big joker here um, for the show, guys. Um, the animated Star Trek series is greenlit at Nickelodeon. Um, it's supposed to be this kid show where these these Federation kids, if you will, find a derelict Star Star Trek ship and take off in it and have adventures. So the equivalent of some juvenile hooligans, if you will, <laughs> stealing some dad's car and going for a beer run, basically. Fast and furious in space. <laughs> hey, basically, but you know what? Yes. Okay, so here, here's here's my thought. You know, I know that they said it's going to be brighter and what have you, but I keep thinking about Star Wars Rebels, where it started off very much like a kid's show and it got dark. Well, yes, and it and it's going to be on Nickelodeon. It won't be on CBS, but it'll be on Nickelodeon. I'm sure it'll eventually be on CBS, but it's going to be on Nickelodeon, and they've been known to do a bit darker shows, and it's going to pair up with the other show, uh, Lower Decks, which should be finishing up and coming out pretty soon. So You know, you got, I think, uh, you got midway through the first season of, of Star Wars Rebels, and when you when they revealed that the Inquisitors were keeping the corpse of a Jedi to lure other Jedis in so that they could kill them. I mean, it got dark quick. Ooh, um, and good. I don't... Huh? That's not good. Uh, yeah, it... Yeah, it got dark. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to get that dark. I mean, Star Wars kind of fits within its own narrative. And, you know, all the Jedi were dead. And so it, that is what it is. But I do think, um, you know, there's a there's we've known for quite a while now that there's a level of sophistication in, in, in these children's shows and, and children can handle a lot more content than sometimes we give them credit for. So I, I, I trust them to, to produce something that that I think will be engaging for me. Look at the last Airbender conversations with it coming back to Netflix. That show's like almost, what, mm-hmm. 10 years old now when it first came out? So if you were, say, 10 years old when that show came out, you're in your 20s now, um, you know, 10 to 18, you're, you're going up into your 30s and people are having like this, like, nostalgia rewatching it and having these really deep conversations about this animated show that, you know, informed their worldview. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing things that maybe they didn't quite see as a child the first time around, but kind of have an inclination, but now have like, I guess you say the language or the experience or the knowledge base to be like, Oh, wow. 
and stuff like that. So there, there's their kids have been watching some pretty dark stuff. Even even we had some dark stuff in our time, but not as much as these kids. Um, and it's great. Like what's that uh, Roberto Sugar show that everybody Steve talks about? It's really bright. Steve the Universe. There's there's some messed up stuff oh, in Steve yeah. the Universe. Uh, just yeah. from the from the stuff I've read about oh, it, I have not yeah. seen yet the television series. But oh yeah, yes. like when they finally make the. Mm. Are you intending on watching? Are you intending on watching the show? Which I recommend you should. I okay, am, I won't say what I'm going to say. I am, and I pretty much know like a lot of the plot lines and stuff. What I appreciate about the fandom and the and the way they've done it is like it addresses things that people have kind of talked about when it comes to cartoons or just television in general. Like this really horrible thing happened to this character, and we don't talk about like they should have some PSD. And that show addresses Or this person that. was really a horrible person, but we've been trying not to accept that for seasons on end. Yeah. Yes. 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 So I think the kids are going to be all right. Um, apparently the people that are doing it for Nickelodeon for this show are like, um, have done other television programs before. Um, Troll Hunters and Naojo Masters of Spijitsu. Neither of which I've seen, I've ever seen, so... I have not seen those. I know Naju is like some Lego yeah. theme thing going on there. So it would be interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to check it out or anything, but I like that this show does exist for for kids or teenagers as they're targeting. It, which continue, yeah. <laughs> and I trust Alex Kurtzman, Kurtzman at this point. I mean, he's he's written, he's been. You know, he's had the keys to the kingdom and he's given us some really clever, um, in- insightful and, you know, products. So, yeah. Yeah, he's come a long way from right since writing Transformers movies. <sighs> Which I still say I enjoy the first one, but the rest of them can go fly off a cliff. Okay, I stopped watching Transformers when they went down to the ocean and they came back up with the same amount of Transformers and they shouldn't have. Like the map was. I don't even remember that one. That took me out. I probably didn't watch it. <laughs> that took me out. It was like they went down with five, they broke one apart so they can get this other one, and they came back up with six. I was like, wait a minute, I thought you destroyed it. I don't it. know. Destroyed a transformer. I don't know what, don't know what either <laughs> one of you guys are talking about. I don't, I don't know what these movies are. I've never heard of them. I don't, I don't know. Well, what let's move on. <laughs> Okay, so there is this article that came out on StarTrek.com. If you guys have not been at StarTrek.com in a while, because it's it's been a while since Star Trek has really been out there in the world, they've done some changes to their social media outlet. They have allowed people that um, submit their their stories for the theme for the month, um, Regular people, bloggers, writers, whomever, if you submit your information to StarTrek.com and they think you're good enough, they will publish it. And there's been some really interesting and unique different types of essays that have been going on in this site. And one of them made me, when this got forward to me, and maybe you want to talk about it, very gleeful, is called The Humbling of Admiral, Admiral Ricard by Ruth Terry. You want to take over from here? Um, I mean, it... I. I think it's worth a read. I think it's definitely, you know, you should definitely read it. 
Um, but it, it's it's basically everything that we talked about in our recap show. I mean, it's it's Picard dealing with his privilege, and it and it lists out the ways in which um, in which the show sort of forced him to to deal with the fact that time has passed, um, the fact that he he does not he 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 no longer has the standing that he had. Um, and that's a function of time and a function of his actions. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really insightful full article. I just, I just enjoyed it because I was like, yes, finally people are talking about this thing that we've been talking about since the beginning um, of our review and less about like the mass effect of Star Trek Picard. Like there, there's other things to talk about, but I really enjoyed that someone else saw the same insight that we did from the show and still got enjoyment from the show. It's not a negative thing. This is like a good thing that happened with the story arc of the John Luke Picard. Character. And it was one that was way overdue. It was way. Well, overdue. you know, I, 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 so, I mean, and there aren't a whole lot of 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 properties that have existed long enough to do this, but I appreciate. Um, a franchise that's willing to critique itself. Y- you know, that's what you want because our mythology changes over time. We need different things over time. You know, we don't we don't live in the same world where the 60s Star Trek is resonant anymore. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to say this to people who lived in that time or who who grew up adoring these this show. But it's not as it, it's not the story that we need, um, and I appreciate, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars and um, even James Bond. You know, where you look at the, the Daniel Craig's approach to the character and his 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 sentiments, which he has voiced, you know, very powerfully, um, and made fools of of interviewers about it. But you know his his approach in the way that James Bond has been partic- depicted over the years, over, over recent years, um, y- you know it's it's sort of a bringing it's it's a little further than making something relevant for today, and it goes into trying to make us understand why you're doing this to make it relevant today and what what about the past doesn't work yes and it the reason i feel that it resonates because much like you guys you know i'm doing a, a voyager, re, voyager rewatch but i also started rewatching next generation and i think i shared with you guys like oh my god you have to watch this one episode where it really exemplifies like the kind of the arrogance of picard and his belief that he's not you know in fact his belief that he can't do anything wrong. And he gets really body checked by Q in this episode and a little bit by his crew. And I feel that there, because Star Trek has lived this long, has been on, you know, our TV screens and our movie screens and this character has been around for so long, we're able to have this really strong foundational talk about this character and what it is we need from this character and from, Star Trek in general and, and the needs and the wants and the dreams that people have and the inspiration that people have from Star Trek. And I just, I'm just glad that this thread is out there for people to read and maybe 
kind of re-examine the show in itself and see it from a different viewpoint if they didn't see it the first time. Ultimately, what these people need to realize is that society does indeed march on. Um, the things that were okay in the 60s, hell, the things that were okay in the late 80s and early 90s, they are not okay now. Um, we have progressed to a level where these things do get to change, these things do get to evolve, and entertainment must evolve along with it, whether some people like it or not. That's just the nature of the beast. And I think there's a part of this conversation that is um, sort of a reluctance of, of people in a in particular fan bases to deal with their own mortality. Um, yeah, you see this all the time, like with music and products and the way things are done is people don't want to acknowledge that, you know, you're not the number one thing. You're not the center of attention and things change and it's, it's okay that things change. And there's people out there that just don't believe it's okay. For and not just change. that things change, but you change. So, so like yes. the, uh, for all of the complaints that people had, which, I, you know, I just think on his face is pretty stupid. If you, if you follow the canon, but like for the last Jedi, when people were looking at the depiction of of Luke Skywalker, well, Luke Skywalker is now in his fifties. He is not the nineteen to twenty five year old farm boy with stars in his eyes that he was in the first trilogy. You know, there's a whole thirty years that's happened, and he had to deal with his life and what his role was in 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 things. Um, he had to come to grips with the fact that the Jedi, Yoda and Obi-Wan really screwed him over. Um, and, you know, there's a certain part of existence in general that um, you start to think about has ha, has everything I've done been for naught? Because, you, you know, the whatever the struggle is, it's not going to end with you. You're not going to solve the world's problems in your life. And there's... You're not... I'm sorry, go ahead. You're right. And then, you know, The Last Jedi demonstrated that when um, he realized his mistake with Ben and the Academy and how that all went down. And realizing he maybe he was doing the same horrible things that happened before. And that the... the yeah, and that, you know, the idea was not for you to be Luke Skywalker, the hero, but to leave something behind for the next generation. You know, there's a difference between that having that focused on you, you know, the, the monomyth, I am the hero that, that, that saves the world and I come back and I, you know, retire in the sun as the king with the, with the beautiful queen and I rule everything I see. And it's, it's, it's a humbling. It's, it's, Oh wow! I did I did the best that I could, and the world is still fucked up. Now what? Yeah, the world was still very fucked up in the new trilogy. I mean, the the battles were still and, going on, and there was a really good examination of that in the Last Jedi of what that meant for the people involved, um, as society as a whole, and what to do. And next. I think the same thing with Picard. I mean, we left the next generation movies with some forward progress in a relationship between the Federation and the Romulans. That went to shit. 
That went to shit and, quick. <laughs> and it was all because of the work that, that, that Picard and Riker did. And now they're old. And it's, you know, this is 18 years later, and it's like, I've done the best that I can to fix this world, and it's still fucked up. Now what? And I think there's a part of, like, it, you know, I just, some of these things are cathartic for me because I am in my 40s, and, you know, I'm starting to realize that I've lived more life than I have ahead of me. And you really do start to have those things, you know, to have those thoughts and you really start to navigate, you know, how do I come about the hope to continue on when, you know, Tangerine Tyrant is in office? You know, and everything leads me to be a cynical, bitter fuck. But, you know, the world is going to go on without me. And you still have an obligation to try to make the world better than what it was. You know, you, you have an obligation to at least try to leave something behind. That's not as horrible as before. You don't have to fix everything, but you can be like, you can clean the mess up a little bit. Like you don't have to fix the whole damn door, but maybe you could pick up the door up, set it aside clean up the trash and when someone comes to the door maybe they have the skill set to maybe either reframe it yeah that's, that's to lay the groundwork for the next generations to actually come and put more on it you know and you take two characters like you know two beloved characters like luke skywalker and picard whose reaction justifiably to the the horrible things that happen because they're human that's the other part of it right we see them as our heroes, but our heroes are human too, which is why you should never meet your heroes. But, you know, you, you have two people who their response to the horrible things that have happened is to tuck tail and run. And, yeah, you can look at that somewhere, you can somewhat see that as cowardice, because in, in a way it is. And there's that, that that cognitive cognitive dissonance of this is my hero I idolized this character for so many years this person would never run away never mind that like for instance with Luke Skywalker you know Ben Kenobi and Yoda both tucked tailed and ran you know where did he get it from but you know you you start to think about like these are this is this is a very human thing these people are not like these cardboard characters that we want them to be. They're human beings. Yeah. And I, I just appreciate that that's what they're doing with the show. Um, and because of the Rona, just like everything else, um, you know, Picard is going to be delayed for the second season. But from my understanding, much of the, the storylines in the script have been written. And it looks like Patrick Stewart is very excited about the, the new direction that the show is going towards. And that's important for me personally, that if he's given a stamp of approval, that things are, are going to be good. And I, I really trust the writers and the producers and the direction that the, the first season uh, went and should be going for the second season. So I'm looking forward to to Picard's journey and his changes and seeing him learning the lessons of his hubris and the little bit of his humbling, if you will, of the of Picard and where we go forward into the second season. Yeah, I love it. Like I like I said, I I there's a, again, I sort of see see these these stories they're they're personal to me in a way. 
they're 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 cathartic for me because I'm I'm an I'm an old bastard now and I'm trying to figure out how to na- how to navigate that. Okay, so the reason why we kind of gathered here is there was some news that was dropped May fifteenth, and if you kind of notice, there's a bit of a theme going on with this the show with some of our news here. Um, you know, we have Star Trek Discovery season three which is considered a bit of a darker Star Trek, if you will. Um, I still think Deep Space Nine beats it, but um, it's less episodic, more serialized. There's a very long, you know, seasoned arc throughout the show. Um, it, sits around, it sits around not um, the captain of the, of the series, but uh, the, the first officer, Michael Burnham. A black woman, and very different, very different dynamics going on with that particular show. Uh, we have Star Trek Picard, which takes an old character and, and puts him through the grinder of the world that he kind of left behind. Uh, we have a new television series, is kind of our uh, kid-oriented animated series about some kids that steal a car and go on adventures. And so we have these different styles of shows out there for people to enjoy and watch. And now we have a new one, which is the Captain Pike show that we all want called Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So what did you guys think of this news? I was excited because, you know, I, I, Anson now, now became Christopher Pike to me. Uh, I, like I've said before, I like Bruce Greenwood in the um, Kelvin first for the movie and the quarter he was in. Um, but, you know, Anson Mount was Pike. Anson Mount became Pike. That was just, whenever I see him now, that whenever I think of Christopher Pike, that's what I think of. I think of that version. Um, um, I'm excited to see more of this version of Enterprise before Kirk comes on and sleeps with half the galaxy. Um, I'm definitely excited for the, the chemistry between the three leads, which we know are going to be Anson Mount, Rebecca Romaine, and Ethan Peck. Um, I'm, and I'm thinking this might be a return to more of the quote unquote monster of the week type of story, if you will. Um, which is fine. I mean that can go either way. Yes. That's why I wanted to why I put all the different shows before this news, because people have been like, that's the critique of the kind of newer version of Star Trek is it not is not episodic. Well now you have an episodic show. So what Star Trek has done, and they call it the Star Trek universe, is they have the foundational layer of Star Trek as we know it. And there's just these really different, unique takes of this universe. You have uh, you have Disco, which is about to go in the future, so that there's no canon issues anymore. Um, it's a little bit darker. It's more serialized. It's more, I, you can say, almost... And not not that Star Trek was an adult. It was very constrained by the the times that it was in with the storytelling. But this Star Trek is not. And so it's able to go a little bit more in-depth and detailed in a different direction than the previous series could. Uh, you have Star Trek Picard, 
which is this, you know, kind of like a, a long form novel of your favorite character, if you will. This kind of like really character breakdown for people. And you have now this episodic adventure. So you have these, and not only that, but the thing about the card, it wasn't centered around Starfleet. It was about the, the larger universe, if you will. And so now you have, you know, Star Trek New Worlds, which will have these episodic adventures that people are craving for. And so we're kind of getting And what they're saying is that they, they, this show, they want to bring the hope back, which will be interesting because what does hope in 2020 mean? What makes us hopeful? Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think people are that part aspect of it. I'm going to get what they want. Because I think what they want, what they mean by hope is, uh, you know, Captain Pike goes to the planet, right? There's a problem. He solves a problem, like, I don't know, cowboy style or whatever, like Kirk did. And the, the monster is taken away. Good guy versus bad guy. Good guy mm-hmm. wins. That, that that doesn't quite work anymore. And so, you know, I go back to, so we all had an exchange, um, uh, what was it, earlier this week with um, uh, Ebony Elizabeth, who is a professor, um, and she has a um, a Twitter account that she uses. I'm, I'm going to send a shout out to her. Um, so it's EB Watches Trek on Twitter. And, you know, she, she chops up a lot of Trek, um, her you know, what she writes a lot about is speculative fiction, uh, particularly from a, a Black perspective, and uh, she, she actually has a book on that um, that we'll probably put in the show notes, but you know, she we had this conversation about how Pike, how they re-envisioned Pike in in such a in such a a, a useful way for this time. Because he's he's a starship captain, but he's not in that normal mold of, you know, in that intense hierarchy. You know, even Picard, even though he had a large supporting cast, you know, it was make it so. You know, I, I'm, I am the captain here. Um, whereas from the very beginning, you know, when you see him enter the bridge and he says, oh, yeah, this is my F in astrophysics. You know, there's a, a, a sort of leadership from him that is that that is filled with humility, that is filled with um, the need to solicit the opinions of people around him, the trust that he had for the people around him and their expertise. And, um, you know, I think those are the qualities we need because, you know, like you said, this is not about the the lone cowboy anymore. Our problems are too big for that. Yeah, and what I appreciate about it, like to piggyback on what you're saying, is that Captain Pike is like an actual real leader that we we don't praise enough. He's a cooperative leader. He doesn't have the knowledge or solutions of everything. He knows that. That's why he picks the best people around him to provide their their knowledge base to him, and then he, together with everyone else, is like, okay, this is the decision. Yeah, I mean, just him, like, when they, when he went into to Lorca's ready room, and he said, well, there aren't any chairs in here? She, she said, she, uh, Burnham said, yeah, because it was basically, you're in here, it's top down, and you leave. And he was like, well, I welcome opinions, and so we need to change this. And it's, uh, it was, it was a really refreshing re-envisioning, especially if you've seen the cage, and you see the type of person Pike was in the Star Trek pilot. 
before Roddenberry really kind of refined what his vision was. Um, it was ref- it's refreshing to see that sort of leadership and that sort of character. Yes, and it and there's been like a lot of like production and television and movie news of things being announced, and who knows when those things are gonna actually go in production. But this was like the only one where I was like, yes, I was like giggy, giggling and screaming with enthusiasm. Like this, this is yep. the only show that needs to be filmed. Yep. None of the others should exist. Only this one. <laughs> I want my top scientists, <laughs> my top man, <laughs> figuring it out to make this happen. Um, but at the same time, knowing how much uh, CBS has um, poured into the Vancouver area, because that's where they're going to be filming, um, it makes me think, with the way we've seen the shorts, that they may have like maybe a pilot filmed or something filmed. Not a whole series, but something filmed, because there has been enough time between season two and now almost two years when it comes to production. Like, I feel like they have something already filmed. And that obviously is what really sold it to the higher ups besides just the fandoms demanding it. So I'm wondering what, what do you guys, what do you guys hope to see in this, in this um, show? Not necessarily in terms of plot, but what would make you happy? Like, what are the what are the milestones that you want to see? Like your your crew comp, uh, composition, the type of missions that they go on, um, the type of topics they address. I want to see a lot of fuck ups. Okay. I want to see them fail because, for order for you know Starfleet to be what it is and having the Prime Directive and all that stuff, there had to have been a lot of failures. Like somebody had to mess up really bad, and that's why the rule set is the way it is. And I would like to see them attempt to do something and fail. And that's why we don't do that. Or that's why we do it this way. Um, I would like to see that. I would like to see them fail quite a bit. Because I think a lot of times with even when there's failure within Star Trek, they still come back up and still be like on the winning side. I would like them to see fit, them to fail and it be kind of like a permanent thing. Kind of like a Picard with the Romulans. Because the question is, would they be actually be able to do that? Because the way that they have created, uh, they have centered Pike now is that he is, uh, in this century, he is the paragon of Starfleet. So to see the paragon fail, would that, would that even be something that's doable? I think because he fails, it makes him the paragon. Because he failed, provide a solution, and has some like good stuff so coming out of it. I think that's what makes him a paragon. Because... He's not necessarily like they maybe they mythologize him a little bit too much. And we see like the realness of what goes on 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 that show. Like he's not they mythicize him so much that maybe we're not seeing the man from the myth. And so maybe we actually get to see that in in some kind of perspective, if you will. Because look, look, even to a sense of Picard, like Picard has some mythos to him as well the way he's a little bit revered by those who revere him. But at the same time, it's like he's still a human being. He has so many failures with him. So it'll be interesting to see that aspect of it. I also like to see some weird, awesome looking yeah, creatures we haven't yeah. seen before. I, I really, 
I'm I've really been thinking about the the composition of the crew. So what do you guys think guys think of that? Sorry, Joseph, you didn't say what you were looking for. No, yeah, that's fine. What am I looking for? I'm looking for it to actually exist. That's it. I'm I'm going in with the clean slate. Like, you got me. Do what you must. Let's go. Or as Pike would say, hit it. And as far as true composition goes, um, eventually, because I don't know if you know Uhura, check off and the gang all came on with Kirk, or if they filtered in as actual shipboard rotations go. But if they do that way, I would like to see some of them begin to, you know, filter in and take their positions. And eventually, when the series ends, we get our Kirk, and that's the end of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I would be happy with, with that kind of an ending, yeah, where we don't really see Kirk or even the full crew, but uh, but uh, most of them into that final moment. But... I would like to see different aliens, different compositions. I would like to see a full, it seemed like at the end of uh, Discovery season two, that it was mostly women on the bridge. I would like to see a full full woman compliment, if you will. We haven't really seen that on Star Trek. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Completely fine with that. Um, I, I'm... I'm intrigued by like Discovery, the way that Discovery assembled their ship, um, because they were really the island of misfit toys that Lorca put together so he could exploit them. Um, and I would like to see because you saw the, the course correction in that, and having Pike there and him taking their focusing on their strengths and pulling their strengths out of them instead of you know exploiting their weaknesses. I'd like to see. Maybe um, sort of duplicative of, of Discovery, but having a crew that is a little chaotic um, and really focusing on, on Pike's ability to get, to get consensus, consensus out of a group of people that fundamentally don't agree. Yeah, I would like to see a little bit of the whole concept of practice versus the game where maybe a couple of the crew members are like, they've done all the studying, if you will, and they're top in the field and have all the papers and stuff. But now they're out here in space and you're in the game. And it's very, 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 very different from practice. And seeing that adjustment and having Pike, you know, shepherd them to be the actual top leader of their So basically, the, the, the television version of everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth? <laughs> yes. Yes. That would be nice. I, I wish they would do that a little bit more with some of the, the shows I watch where they emphasize on the practice. Like, they do have the knowledge in their head, but the, the whole the implementation in the game is way different. But I think that, you know, th <laughs> focusing on those type of things kind of brings it back to what you were saying about Voyager, where you had this juicy built-in conflict between the Maquis and the Federation, and it just sort of fizzled. Yes. Yeah, it, it did. And yeah, I think that could have made, for a, better made for a better Janeway. And that's not a that's not a that's it not a criticism of Janeway, yeah. but it, it could have made for a better Janeway. 
I think it would allow for the morality issues and the ethic issues to be fleshed out more if there was a bit more conflict and contrast when she started making those decisions. Even if she still made those same decisions, you have a little bit more reverb or a little bit more color to those decisions that were made. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm in. Like, I'm on the top of the diving board and I'm just going to jump. And and we'll see if I'm going to flop, skip, or actually go through the water or anything, you know? Um, but I was just I was just so happy. There was like a, a positive news with all of that's going on right now. Like, this is, the, like I said, I want my top man, my top scientist on this to make sure that when production goes in, that everyone's safe, they're social distancing or physical distancing, if you will, and no one gets sick, everyone is well, and it's a, it's a smooth and sailing. Trust the, you know, I, I've been saying this a lot. Trust the process, people. Trust the process. So is there anything anybody else would like to I add? I have one more, uh, one other question for you guys. Because in going through this this Voyager watch last rewatch last watch, I noticed that there's so they pushed Discovery a, a roughly a thousand years into the future, which means that they missed their they sh- far shot yes. overshot some of the future stuff that was set in motion by Voyager, namely the time cops. I'm wondering, will we see the time cops? I'm wondering the same thing too because the time cops show. Mm, I'll see. I've seen. I, that's well. my next thing. I haven't watched Enterprise at all. Okay, uh, there is time time stuff in Enterprise, especially the first two seasons, and then the last bit of the fourth season. But there's time cops in Enterprise, and there's time cops in Voyager, and there was that one I think little scene in Deep Space Nine about the Time Bureau, but. It would be interesting. See, I don't to remember see. that DS Nine at all. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was DS Yeah, like somebody did a time thing. They came by and they're like, "Okay, well, there's nothing we can do about it," and they left. And they're pretty privileged in Star Trek Online as well. Might, it might. Okay, so yeah, it would be interesting to see what that fully means because we haven't really gotten much. Like, there's only been that trailer from New York Comic Con. And that's that's it. And that's very unusual for Discovery or television shows. But, you know, the Rona has thrown things in a, a off-kilter, if you will. So I'll be like you. Because I I'm think what the time cops was, what, 26th century? Yeah, I think so. So, and they're going, they're now in the 30-something. So they've, again, overshot all of this. Which is great. It's juicy because, you know, now they have a clean slate. And again, trust the process because they were a lot smarter than us. And, you know, you know that they that was the, the game plan from the beginning. But I, it, that's juicy. Not only is it juicy, but it, it, it really like it, it changes. Like you said, it's a blank slate. So it changes everything that we know, because what we know doesn't matter anymore because things are different. You're so far in the future and society has changed so much that you don't recognize everything. It's like if you were like somebody from like the beginning of the, the 20th century and you, the only car you know is the Model T. And then you bring them forward here to now and you show them a Lambo. It's going to blow their freaking mind. They're not going to understand the concept of this car. 
because it's so different from what they know. So I'm just super excited for the Star Trek universe. I'm excited for the things that are to come. And I hope there's more of these shows that fill out the universe into like these different little nooks and corners, if you will, um, of Star Trek. And I, I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm liking the way Star Trek, Star Trek has pulled from things that it's inspired um, into itself oh. and, and made it Star Trek. Which yeah, I was getting ready to remind you about that because I thought you were about to shut things down. <laughs> so I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so I have a really old Xbox 360, and so every time I played the game, I couldn't save it. So I literally had to start over and go from the very beginning to play this game. And I got to the point where I eventually, like, it was so frustrated, where you have to, like, it's the very beginning of the game, you have to, like, stop the bombs from happening, after you got portrayed by that one dude that was stabbed his friend and was like douche, um, going around and stopping those bombs and then not dying so much, and I just I just got frustrated. So I got to that point of the game, and I basically said, okay, I need to get an Xbox One. So sometime this weekend, I'm checking out these Memorial Day sales. Um, I'm getting an Xbox One so I can play this damn game because. I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't go back to the beginning, and it's be, this is be, this game was made before you can skip those movie intro stuff. So I couldn't hit like fast forward or anything, or just go really fast through my decisions. It just it was really frustrating for me. But I want to play this game. But what I've noticed about this game that I appreciate is like these decision trees that you have. And I know I haven't felt the full effect of those decisions quite yet. I've gotten a little hints, but I'm wondering like how my decisions are really going to affect my character. And that's what I'm really excited about from what I've Every little decision will matter, every single one. And I can hear the, the haters of the ending of Emancipate 3. Shut up, every little decision matters. Yeah, and it, 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 it's just like a little bit of it helped like with the bombing stuff. I was like, maybe I should have gone here or gone gone into that one place first and stuff like that. It was just it was just like already some stuff was happening, but it was like I really I just want to be able to save so I can build off and, and stop going from the very beginning over and over again. I was just so frustrated. And I'm not a gamer, guys. I'm sorry. That's that's what made it so frustrating for me. So I just I just wanted I was it was on casual, it was on easy mode. I just wanna play I'll be the first one to tell people now. Look, I'm in my 40s, okay? I play games when I have time. And so when I play the game, I'm not Mm -hmm. looking for a challenge. I'm not looking to impress nobody. Most of the games I play, I want story. Man, I I jack that that bad boy down to story mode or easy and have all the good times I want. (laughs) Oh, and the last bit of gaming is, so in... My little workspace that I do, um, I'm in the Bitcoin world. I'm not going to go into too deep in that because I, kn- I know that bothers some people. But there is a game that is part of um, parent, or CBS's push to get more people into Star Trek called, um, what's it called? Uh, Crypto Space Commander. It's basically, think of it as EVE Online 
but um, more space and stuff. And they partnered up with Star Trek, and they already have some Star Trek stuff in there. They have like Voyager. You can have the Voyager ship and and Battle Voyager. Uh, but one of the biggest things I did at interview was that for the first time ever, and I'm surprised this never happened with any of the Star Trek games, not even Star Trek Online, is you are able to have a full version of a board cube. Like the full version, like one-to-one, like the whole mock-up of it and battle people in space. And there will only be one of these in existence. So if you're the one that gets it, and I'll have a link in the show notes to it, you're the only one that'll have this this badass board cube. And they're doing this whole Star Trek Picard thing where you can get the uh, the only version of the Enterprise E, uh, La Sierra, and an old school Romulan Warbird. And it's just a, a different version of Elon Online, but it's a Star Trek version of it. And then it'll for you guys. And I was just so excited when I was interviewing this person talking about this game. And I'm like, I wish I could tell everyone I know about this, but I have to wait until they drop the knowledge. So it's out there. I'll have a link in the show notes. And it's just, I never realized as he was talking about the game that this had never been done before. Um, and what that would mean, I was thinking of all the different things, like if I had that relationship, <laughs> what I would do to people. Like assimilate, like assimilate them, going after their worlds. But at the same time, I've never played Eve online, but knowing about Eve online, I was like, oh, all the different armadas that were going to be trying to come after me and destroy me. And the different, the thing that's different about other MMO games, space games like this, is if you destroy certain ships, once they've been destroyed, you can't rebuild them. So, for example, if someone were to, like if I had the Borg Cube, and everyone and their mama decided they wanted to destroy me. Once my ship has been destroyed, there will never, ever be a Borg Cube in the game again. So that was what, that was makes that different, that game a little bit different. So... And that's it as far as what we have to discuss, unless you guys have anything Nothing else to over here. add. Okay, well, thank you guys um, on the NPR Network for listening to us. As soon as, you know, Star Trek Discovery drops, we are going to be here with the full crew. But for now, it's just like a little bit of stuff and... Maybe as soon as things settle down, maybe um, you'll get a Voyager rewatch discussion from us. But um, I'm Herosia. Thank you all for listening. Bye. And, uh, bye for now. <laughs>